everyone is mobile. The days where you used to be in the office and there was a big PC under your desk and you would come to work to get work done. Half the people in my team are remote working across the globe and just making sure the collaboration with them is on the pace and making sure that we are all aligned and working towards the customer problems at the same time is only possible because we live and breathe the Citrix technology internally around remote access or having all our work, all my apps, all my files available to me on any device anytime. Hi, and welcome to Conversations with Des. I'm your host, Des Blanchfield. Today, I have the privilege of being joined in the studio by Vishal Ganariwala. Now, Vishal is the Senior Director for Product Marketing for Workplace, workspace Services for Citrix. Uh, Vishal, thanks for joining us. Great to have you on the show. Yeah, thank you, Des. I'm really delighted to be on the show. Indeed. Now, just a quick introduction to you. You've had about uh, oh, over a decade and a half, uh, according to my math. Uh, I think it was about 17 years when I was last looking at your bio of experience in this whole space of not just end-user computing, but also the whole industry space around it with virtual client computing, unified endpoint management, content collaboration platforms, and this whole topic of digital workspaces, which we're going to talk about today. But you've also come from a, a fairly amazing background, and, and you've got this deep pedigree in a mix of senior leadership roles and technical roles. So you've had roles in like technical marketing, uh, you cover alliance marketing, business development and, and developer marketing. And your whole team, as far as I can tell, was responsible for driving this whole go-to market strategy, particularly pricing and patching, packaging through to sales and channel enablement and the whole competitive intelligence space in that. Um, and I'd love to dive into kind of what a day in the life of uh, a senior director of product marketing for workspace services at Citrix. But before we do, uh, Vishal, I wonder if you'd mind maybe just doing a little pivot and giving our audience a little intro to you personally, maybe a little background on kind of where you're from, where you grew up, any fun highlights around your uh, academic and career path you could share just so listeners get to know you personally. Yeah, no, absolutely. So I grew up in India and I did my engineering in India for mechanical engineering. And uh, as I was completing my mechanical engineering in India, I was looking at higher education in schools and University of Florida, uh, which where I did my master's for decision information sciences, looked really interesting. And uh, that was my actually first time taking a plane um, and, and traveling abroad um, to US, and which was really exciting and, and, and being very nervous at the same time. But at the end, it turned out all good. Um, did my master's here at University of Florida for two years, and uh, you know where I really, you know, developed my uh, appreciation for American football. So, as growing up, I played tons of soccer. Now I, I call it soccer versus football. And uh, you know, a huge fan of um, University of Florida um, Gators football team. But also, um, as I was growing up, um, a huge, huge fan of Star Trek TNG. If, if if there are people who like Picard, the new show which is coming up, so I'm really excited about that one as well. You and me both. I uh, I was very excited when I was reading your bio and I realized you're a Trekkie. Um, it's uh, it's either you're a Trekkie or you're not. It's like a Boolean switch. People either get it or they don't. Um, and in fact, hilariously, my my kids are uh, my son's 15 and my daughter's 18. For each of them, when they were younger, they kind of scoff at me now. I made them watch every single episode of every series all the way up to the current ones. And uh, I'm sure when they were kids, they were sitting there going, what is my dad doing? But now they get my jokes. <laughs> um, but, you know, that, that did set us up for an interesting thing. I mean, as a, as a Trekkie, um, one of the things that uh, comes away from that is a lot of the technology we're seeing now where, you know, I mean, Arthur C. Clarke has this great line that he says something to the effect that uh, a sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. And when I think about what you're building now, about the types of way we're working, we're not really that far away from what Star Trek set us up as, as I mean, originally as kids when we started watching it, but now as adults, um, which is one of the reasons I made my kids watch it, this immersion of technology, right? So once upon a time, you'd, you'd get up and you'd get in your car and you'd drive to work and sit in a cubicle and log into a terminal computer and you'd use the computer to do work and you'd have meetings and you'd come home and have dinner and you're done. Nowadays, it's in our hand, you know, so like this, this whole idea of a of a device that Star Trek, uh, uh, you know, folk running around space would flip and go doo -doo, and start talking to each other. I mean, that's a smartphone. We've got that, right? And what you're doing with the whole workplace services within Citrix and making sure that wherever I am, I can get my email, I can check my documents, I can check my flight itinerary. I mean, you know, it does set us up, I guess, in many ways that, that Star Trek woke us up to what technology could do. But, but now it's kind of in our hand, isn't it? I mean, is that kind of your sense of 
that transition from that <clears throat> sort of science fiction space to now we're living it? Oh yeah, absolutely. And, and this is one of the you know the most amazing things. And, and you know, I, I truly believe uh, we all are really, really lucky to be living in this time where we see something which was a science fiction only a few years ago to be actually living it, right? I mean, and, and the technology waves are getting smaller and smaller or shorter and shorter, which means there's this big technology wave which took 10 or 15 years um, or in past, if you look at what the industrial revolution was and, and how this whole email and internet came along and then when the mobile devices came along and and now the technology cycles are shrinking smaller and smaller and, and it's amazing to see things you see on TV as fiction come to reality. Um, the examples being HoloLens or Magic Leap as one of the companies which is pushing the boundaries on AR and VR. And as a business leader, when you, when you think about it, you know, you need to be prepared for a lot of these things. Um, um, iPhones used to be, oh, it's personal or consumer lives only. And now there's a whole market around unified endpoint management, mo managing mobile devices for both iOS, Android, and everything else. And so everything we see in our personal lives is, is getting translated into our enterprise lives. It's, it's a very fine line between that whole work and, and personal life, isn't it now? And I know, I mean, places like Europe and certain nations, which we won't mention because it's not fair to them, and certainly Australia has been looking at it. But, you know, there's been this, this, this view that work is crossing over into personal life too much. And in, in some nations, you know, you're not even allowed to email or phone employees after hours because it invades their personal life. But then on the other side of it, I think most of the developed world is looking at it from the point of view that it's a benefit that I don't actually have to be sitting in front of a screen in, in a desk at a cubicle waiting to get an email to make a decision. I can do it while, you know, maybe I'm watching the, the, the is it the Florida Gators, uh, you know, uh, do a touchdown and I've got the device in my hand and I can make a business decision from there. I don't actually have to be in a cubicle. I think this is a thing that we're really realizing now, as you said, that like this is an amazing time to be alive because these things are not science fiction anymore. They're real. What um, I'd love to get some insight just briefly to kick off on. I mean, when we think about. Uh, when Vishal wakes up in the day and starts thinking about uh, what the role of senior direct director of product marketing is in that whole world of workspace services, what's a day in the life for you like? What, what are some of the big key challenges you're facing, I guess, initially internally, because you've, you've got a whole bunch of focus on the product and the service and preparing to go to market, and then some of the industry spaces you're focusing on? Because I'm, I'm always really keen on kind of what a day in the life of my guests is like, and I, I suspect you've got a really broad remit, so you've got some really fun challenges you're facing. Yeah, it is. It's, every day is different, right? And, um, and it's, I'm sure this is true for you as well. And so I, I would describe like the most common things um, which happens and I try to focus on every day is a customer problems. So as, as a product marketer, actually, I'm in a pretty fortunate position where I get to talk to a lot of customers. So I try and at least get um, talk to a customer or, um, you know, look at a customer problem and see what's going on in this industry. And just hearing them out and how they are using our solution and what use cases we are able to solve for them just makes a product marketer so much being the, the customer advocate internally. Right? And then the other things is when you look at, it's just not customers, but it's also talking to a lot of our sales and partners, our channel partners, and just trying to understand their challenges and, and helping them articulate the technology messaging into a business speak. And just just working with, with our sales team and saying, all right, um, here's how a customer is perceiving um, their problems. So it's not our job to actually keep selling them products, but actually help customers solve their challenges or their problem and sell them solutions. And just trying to work a lot with our sales and, and channel partners, but also with our customers, just sitting down in their conference room or executive briefing conferences with them understanding, you know, what their 2020 challenges are now, actually, and, and are, uh, what their top initiatives are for the next year. And a lot of times, um, the challenges are also internal-facing. If you think about what's going on, uh, on designing these different packaging and pricing packages for our customers, so they're consuming them, the right price point, they see the value in our services. And, and from, from my point of view, uh, when I look at uh, as a product marketer, the, you know, historically in product marketing, it used to be that the products were coming in a big bang every year. And if you remember, that there was a, a big Windows 
7 launch or big Windows 10 launch. But now if you think about it, there are no more Windows 10 launches. It comes in as cycles every six months. So actually, uh, every product marketing role is changing that way where most products which used to come in these big banks are not being converted into services. So as a product marketer, you have to be more agile, working with your engineering teams, working with your product management teams, and just keeping up to the pace and still delivering and articulating the right message for your customers. Yeah, I imagine you've, got that this, helps. you've probably also got this juggle that uh, when I think about the role you've got, from my experience, you've got this interesting juggle between strategic thinking and planning for the future because you've got to be ahead of the curve. They're ready and waiting for the industry when it comes at it because, you know, for most organizations, if I'm a bank or an airline or a transport or logistics company, whatever the case may be, the trend comes about. I notice that I pay attention. I, uh, I listen to podcasts, read blogs. I get great insights from someone like yourself. And then I decide that at some point I've got a pain point to fix and I go and adopt it. But, you know, within Citrix and, and your role, you're at the other end of the spectrum where you've got to not only go through that process yourself and effectively become your own first client, but you've got to be there ready, willing and waiting and able to not just communicate the value strategically, but also have the capability. So there must be an interesting challenge to sort of be ahead of the game constantly and having your finger on the pulse and having that ability to build, design, implement, and have that availability in the product uh, pricing and so forth and packaging, as well as walking through that journey with organizations as they come to that realization. Uh, I, I can't imagine what sort of juggle and balance that must be on a daily basis. Now, you, you, you hit the nail on the head, right? It's absolutely um, a living the technology ourselves and, and making sure as you were talking, right, making all these decisions from your phone or, or making from your mobile device. Everyone is mobile. And the days where you used to be in the office and there was a big PC under your desk and you would come to work to get work done. And now that we are living, at least uh, my team and, and Citrites, we call, you know, all the Citrix employees Citrites, we live and breathe our own technology where everyone's mobile. There is a really great work from home policy. We have Half the people in my team are remote, um, working across the globe, and just making sure the collaboration with them is on the pace and making sure um, that we are all aligned and marketing and working towards the customer problems at the same time, um, you know, is only possible because we live and breathe um, the Citrix technology internally around remote access or having all our work. Um, all my apps, all my files available to me on any device, anytime. So that brings me to my first question, because I've got a couple of things I'd like to cover with you. I'd like to talk about that whole topic of, you know, we sort of hear the phrase employee experience, and we hear that in customer experience as well. And I'm sure that employee experience is sort of, uh, as a result of us talking about customer experience, we converted that. So employee experience is sort of, you know, on everyone's uh, tongues at the moment. But one of the things that I keep getting asked about is, is what does it actually mean? You know, it seems like an obvious phrase. But when you think about employee experience and, and, and why people are talking about it from within Citrus's point of view, what does it mean to you? No, it's a great question. And then this is something, uh, you know, there's a lot of research being done on employee experience from last two decades or so. And in fact, even more research has been done on customer experience. But let me actually take a step back and just take a Citrix lens um, and explain what employee experience is here. And so historically, when we, when we talk about employee experience, you know, there were a lot of research in HR which focused on culture, um, the environment itself. But then there is research now being done around processes and workflows. And then there is research on IT tools and so on. So in a big picture thing, um, employee experience is everything you encounter at work every single day in your daily life. And it's it could be anything from uh, your interaction with your manager, um, to your leadership team, um, to you, to everything in your physical workplace, which is um, your your cafeteria or the, the foosball table or uh, the ping pong table in your break room, to to the IT tools and technology um, you have. Now there has been a lot of research on the other aspects, right? Which is essentially the culture, the leadership, and the physical workplace. But when we take a look back and, and look at everything which is supposed to happen as we improve employee experience, which is productivity and engagement, both of those factors has been on decline. In fact, when I look at productivity itself, um, it was on a steady rise. It was on a steady rise for last three or four decades. And with every big 
change in technology or big technology advances, whether it was from um, all the way from mainframes to the internet to the to the mobile era, everything was going up, up, and up. But all of a sudden, in the last decade or so, we have actually seen productivity decline. And actually, the current rate of productivity is just close to 1%, which is really, really dangerous um, for the whole economy. Now, on the other hand, when I look at just employee engagement, um, and Gallup did a really famous survey, and, and you will see the citing of this survey in a lot of places. Um, but in a nutshell, it's like 85% of the employees are disengaged at work, and which is really scary even for me as a manager. Um, does that only mean I have out of 15 or 18 people in my team, do I only have two or three people which are really engaged and everyone else is just getting, you know, getting by? And now, going back to my original point, if culture, um, processes, and environment, everything we have actually invested in isn't uh, was supposed to actually have our employee experience go up, but it hasn't, then there has to be this factor, which is IT tools and technologies, um, which we haven't really invested in. Um, it must be impacting employee experience. It must be um, impacting productivity and engagement. Now, what can we do and wh why has all this mobile technology, mobile was supposed to make us um, really productive. Like when the promise of iPhone was, I will be more productive, the promise of all the mobile apps and notifications was, um, I can get all my work done anytime, uh, anywhere, on any device, right? But in fact, here's what really happened. Um, if you look at any large technology or just a business, we've done actually a really, really good job um, investing in customer-facing technology. So if you are a large airline company, you probably have a really awesome app for doing or booking reservation online or do, doing ticketing online. Maybe you're a large hotel chain. Um, you have an awesome app for booking a hotel online and, and doing all those things. But if you um, look behind the curtain, all the investments which we have done on the um, customer side hasn't really translated into our employee side of the things. The employees are still using um, older devices in most cases um, or using you know, arcane or really older apps to get work done. And this is really, really impacting employee experience. And in fact, um, the, a, a normal typical employee experience looks like when I come to work um, or a typical employee who comes to work, they, they, they have way too many apps they deal with. Um, in fact, there are studies which show there are like four or five apps an employee has opened to, to actually complete one given single task. Now, it, it would have been okay if there were just too many apps as a problem. But now when I look around and I see um, and talk to our customers, um, they are also doing a lot of searching. It's, it's impossible to find the data or information I'm looking at the right time. In fact, McKinsey did a study which says um, employees spend nearly 20, 25% of the time just looking for information or trying to just search and find information. And to top off all these things, I guarantee um, if there are listeners who are listening to this podcast right now, they probably got a tweet or a text or a Slack message or, or a Teams message or an email right now, right? And they probably got distracted. So there is a lot of distraction, distraction um, not only in our personal lives, but, but even at our workplace. And, and we're just constantly juggling and, and getting distracted. In fact, again, um, studies done by Harvard or, and McKinsey and, and leading researchers show that when you switch um, uh, and do a context switching from one application to the next one, um, just getting attention span back to the primary work you were doing may take up 20, 25 minutes. So, wow. Yeah. And so this is, the, the, if I could just describe the problem statement, it was a long way of answering your question. Yeah, no, the problem but, statement here is, like, there are just too many apps. Yeah. You're spending way too much time finding information. There's way too much distraction, which is, we believe, is driving employee experience down. And then it's, the, you know, we as an industry must do something to fix it. 
Well, it's frightening to think that, and I know everyone's going to have just woken up when they realise that 25 minutes is being lost every time you context, which I, I'll be absolutely frank and admit that I get caught out with that all the time. So much so that uh, I occasionally still have a pen and pencil next to me where I'm actually <laughs> keeping a note of kind of where I'm at with a little tick list. Because um, I found that every time I started adding tools for checklist and project management and platform management, I went old school. So I do, I do know that it impacts me every day. Talking research, you, I know you did something recently. I think it was with The Economist, with their uh, intelligence business unit. Uh, and I think there was a, a, a paper published, um, and I've got a note here, it was called The Experience of Work. And it was focused on the role of technology in that whole area of productivity and engagement you were just talking about. And uh, if people are listening and haven't seen it yet, it's called The Experience of Work. You can do a web search for it. Uh, and it focuses on the role of technology in productivity and engagement. It was, it was produced uh, in collaboration with Citrix and The Economist, um, as in the, the publisher, their intelligence unit. <clears throat> and through it, there's just an amazing amount of data exactly to what you're talking about around all these things around just productivity and engagement. And also on top of that, just satisfaction doing your job. Uh, and of course, it links to all kinds of things like talent retention and then you know profitability and other things that companies think about. But just those three things at the top of like productivity and engagement and, and two parts, but mostly satisfaction. I think one of the biggest reasons anyone, myself included, has ever moved a job is that you just didn't get job satisfaction. So you're looking around for something more satisfying and sometimes you might even take less money. So I guess one of your challenges is now to make sure that whole... Uh, what we would normally call a customer experience in the consumer space, we're now calling employee experience in the workplace, making sure that it's seamless, it's safe, it's secure, it's easy, it's it's always on. And as you said before, potentially you can follow us, whether it's a phone or a phablet or a tablet or or even just a laptop or, or whatever the case may be, which is more the case because we're mobile these days more than anything. Um, but also the, the challenge, one of the things that strikes me is behind all of this is the challenge of data protection security. I'd love to get your thoughts around sort of where that fits into the picture because I know in my experience, providing access is one thing and addressing all those challenges of productivity and engagement and then employee satisfaction comes with easy access and removing some of those distractions. But underpinning it is this constant challenge of, of I guess, access versus security. Where does data protection and security fit into all this? I, mean, I imagine it's a fairly foundational component, but it, it has to be woven through everything, surely. No, absolutely. So this is the yin-yang, right? And, and this is, there, is a, there has to be this balance between experience and security. And, and for Citrix, uh, being in the secure remote access solution for the last 30 years and being known for actually protecting data, um, uh, especially around Windows applications, um, has been really well known. In fact, you know, when we say, um, you know, 9 out of the 10, um, you know, financial institute or 10 out of the 10 banking institute and, and hospital, they all use Citrix to secure and deliver Windows applications on any device. We took that concept uh, you know, further and started working on how to think about applications like SaaS and web and mobile applications. And fundamentally, providing the same level of control and visibility to IT to secure these applications on any device. And, and the world, um, if you think, is, uh, is changed. So when you think about an application like Office 365, and that, that's a really good example, which I like to give to my customers sometimes, you can't think of an application as a web application or a SaaS application or a Windows application, because most applications are, are just multi-platform. So you need to have this common policies, um, uh, which, which span across these different application types, but yet deliver these applications in a very consistent format. Now, on top of all those things, it's impossible to now just secure um, everything because, because of um, everything which goes around things. So you need higher level of machine learning and AI um, for better visibility and control. And if you have static rules to protect your data, um, those days are over, right? And, and if, if there is machine learning built into our consumer ways, it has to be brought into our enterprises. And the best way I describe some of the security analytics now built into our products to help our customers um, gain more visibility and control over their data is I think of example like credit card industry. Now, credit cards know or these industries know more about us than, you know, than our significant others. Uh, they know exactly where we shop, how much we spend money at a gas station, which gas stations we go to, um, and they know every single buying behavior. And if there's an anomaly 
um, we, we simply get a text and saying, are you sure you were the only person who made this transaction? Um, we can either block your credit card or, or, or do a quarantine or press one to continue that to prove your own identity. Now, in a very similar way, we have built these security analytics services right into our services, which take this thing from different applications, networks, data points, and content, and stitch them all together to build a, um, a user graph, a risk graph. And if you're downloading um, too much data on a device, we have never seen, or accessing applications at 3 a.m. at night from a completely unknown loca location, we, the system's never seen, you can simply get another prompt for um, for an MFA or, or an admin may just, you know, depending on the dynamic rules, may completely block your access from the applications itself. So, so this is where we, we say where experience um, and security, they go hand in hand. If you have way too much security built in, if you make it just um, too hard for users to access information, most often or not, they just give up and say, you know what, um, I'm not going to email this file or look this up. Maybe when I go to work tomorrow morning and open my laptop at work, maybe I'll deal with this. But if you make it really easy and, and safe and secure at the same time, um, naturally, the, the productivity and the engagement goes up. Does it make sense? Yeah, indeed. In fact, actually, I was reading one of your articles on your um, digital workspace portal. In fact, for anyone interested, under Citrix.com, if you visit the uh, the digital workspace portal section of the website, there's a couple of amazing stats there. One that uh, I made a note of that jumped out at me when I read it the other day was um, that you'd found 84% of organizations were saying that traditional security solutions didn't work in their cloud environments. Um, and I was, I was thinking, well, hang on, this is essentially the majority. There's more than the majority. And uh, it struck me that this was not not just unacceptable. It was unmanageable. It was unworkable because we can't get up and expect that 84% of our environments are not secure anymore. And I imagine this is so, you know, this links into this whole challenge you're talking about with that, you know, uh, discussion around, you know, is someone using something at three o'clock in the morning from someone you don't know? Um, how do we know it's secure? I mean, I travel a lot. You travel a lot. Uh, how does the platform know? Or how does it make it easy? Do I get a multi-factor authentication, whether it's two-factor or otherwise, with a, you know, a PIN number, an SMS or a ping or a token? Um, but yeah, I was just amazed that you'd found 84% of organizations were telling you that they didn't think that traditional security solutions are working in their cloud environments, which would frighten me, uh, having come from a, a background of deep security. Um, so I imagine underneath all of that then comes one of the big topics I wanted to ask you about, because it's something that comes up regularly. When we think about just data protection, privacy, security, and now we've got a bunch of regulatory compliance and governance with the likes of GDPR and others on a global level, even though people think that GDPR is a European uh, challenge, it, it impacts everyone because we've got supply chains that cover the planet. Underpinning that is that whole security challenge of the treatment of the data. So knowing who's got access to it, when they've got access to it, what they can do with it. Th this must be something that comes up on a regular basis. And I remember you've, you've sort of tackled this challenge. I'd love to get some thoughts on kind of how you approach that and what kinds of insights you can share on what you're doing currently in that space around just the whole treatment of data and, and being able to not just control who's got access to it, but also tr you know, log it and track it and report on it. No, absolutely. So, um, A, number one, I think Citrix has always been about flexibility choice and while securing your data. So, so first of all, you know, when you are actually accessing applications through Citrix, um, you can always have the data in the right geography based on the, the, the data laws or the, the IP laws um, a country has. For example, um, even though when you are using Citrix cloud services, um, your data can always reside in your data center or a public cloud provider, which, which gives you the right uh, IP protection and the data protection stuff. Now, in addition to those things, um, in order to protect some of your IP and data, um, I'll give you just a couple of examples, right? And, and a, a you know, number of um, automobile industries and, and highly regulated industries use Citrix to, to, to do these things. So what we have really done is built in protections so that only the, um, the, the data always resides in the data center. And then when the remote workers or contractors are working on your applications, all they have, they, they are not able to download anything locally on their own devices. And so this gives you the centralized data protection, right? So first of all, in addition to those things, you, we can just add way more DLP policies on top of those things. You can watermark that data 
um, or you can prevent anyone to obviously cut, copy, paste, save it locally, um, or even actually now we have just added in the newest capability where you can't even take a screenshot of something, it just blacks it out. Now, so that so data protection and, and making sure um, our customers are relying on, on some of this IP protection is very, very important to Citrix. I know you've got a whole uh, ecosystem around this. I mean, I'm, myself in my various past lives, I mean, I've deployed platforms like Citrix's Access Control uh, solution, and, and you've got a whole range of, of environment uh, underneath that around the gateway service and, and security. I mean, it's all linked back to kind of one of the things that we often think about when we think about the Citrix brand is that whole single sign-on joy that you log in once and everything's uh, securely available. Um, but it's interesting, you're now thinking about that whole challenge of like screenshots. I mean, I know we're seeing that in consumer spaces where things like Snapchat don't allow you to take recordings or download and the messages vanish after a few seconds when you've seen it. And if you take a screenshot, it used to block it. And now, now I think you can change the settings where you're allowing people to do that, but you get a notification. And I guess this is where you've got this blend between uh, the convenience and, and, and ease of use, but at the same time, uh, you've got to get these controls because now you've got a device like a smartphone or a tablet that someone can let you just push two buttons and get a screenshot. You've now got to think ahead of that curve and figure that out. When we think about this whole challenge, I mean, you are faced with a number of really big, I guess, shifting sands environment, environments or challenges as I see them. You've got this rapidly changing landscape of, of the business systems you've got to secure, the environments like cloud, whether it's on-premise, off-premise, public cloud, hybrid cloud, private cloud, community clouds. Um, you've got some legacy environments. I mean, there's people still using you know, lots of systems on mainframes, lots of mid-range. Um, and then you've got all the people on that. One of the things that jumped out at me was this whole generational gap of experience. When we think about customer experience, in this case, employee experience, um, you know, you've got five generations off the top of my head that you sort of got from the, the, the boomers to the Gen X, the Gen Y, the Gen Z, and across the whole top of these, you've sort of got this millennial umbrella um, how do organizations come to you with this challenge of going, look, we've got people that have come from stubby, stubby pencils and clipboards to, to cloud natives who know nothing but mobile phones. That must present some interesting challenges for you to juggle as well, sort of securing some of those long-running uh, legacy in a positive sense environments uh, where there's you know, long sunk costs and big infrastructure that can't change through to the new agile nimble apps that are just being deployed on, a, in some case, an hourly basis with social media platforms doing updates. How does that even sound like a conversation when you, when, what does that sound like when people come to you and say, we've got this five generation gap where we're a hospital or an airport or whatever the case may be, we don't know where to start, how to provide a consistent platform and how to deal with that conversation about that whole experience. Where does that even start as a conversation? Yeah, this is, this is the, actually, this is the fun part, actually, and just talking to um, VPs of end user computing or CIOs who are actually um, really looking to digitally transform and support these different generations of workers. So I think the, the, the conversation goes something like this, like uh, employees today expect things at work to be as easy as they are in their personal lives. And as you said, um, millennials or Gen Z, um, uh, maybe the Gen Z people who have never even gone to a bank to open a bank account, right? <laughs> and and, and it's, it's, it's my... It's mind-blowing to think about they've, they've always used their phone app to, to do things. And uh, uh, they probably have never written a physical check to actually get things done, forget about checkbooks. Um, and, and you know, these are the people who even book flights, um, you know, less than six clicks. And when they come to work, um, now they have to navigate through these multiple apps and drill six levels down to get the same things done. And so... Um, they are looking for employers. They are looking for for companies to work for, which make things easier for them and not not hard for them. Right now, at the same time, you know you, you have to be be cognizant that different people have different work styles, and you might have someone in your workforce um, who is still used to emails and and who's still used to working in a completely different lifestyle. So you have to have this balance where. Uh, someone who's always on the road and, and completely comfortable working on their mobile devices and getting work done on their from their mobile devices versus balancing out a different generation of worker who's who still is, you know, um, who still likes to be in the office, um, gets work done, and so on. Nothing wrong with those things. Now, at the end of the day, every single employee, um, they want freedom to work when, where, and how they want. In fact, 
um, Citrix did a recent study, and um, what we found out that 70% of the knowledge workers um, living in the urban locales or cities said they, they would be okay um, and they would move out to the outlying areas and work remotely if they could get jobs at the same level. Right? And, and so at the same time, um, all the gig workers or contracting and contingent employees will keep on rising. And they expect, we expect that the amount will be probably be half of your workforce might just be gig workers. Now to attract and retain they, this kind of a talent where you're trying to attract Gen Z workers, millennial workers, or trying to attract this workforce who might be more remote, who might be more contingent in today's tight labor market, um, you may need to rethink what workplace really means. Is it a physical workplace where you want people to come in and work? Or is it a more digital environment that just you know is flexible with new work modules and new work styles? but yet be able to deliver the same tools and information employees need to do their best work in simple and unified way. Um, that's, that's, that's what the new workforce is all about. It's about removing friction um, and having giving employees the sense that they made progress today um, and not just they came to work and answered 10 emails or, or maybe not 10, 50 or 90 emails and, and approved expenses and got... Um, work which was busy work, right, and and work which was um, just structured versus what you really want employees to really think is value-creating work, uh, free up time um, so they can get by their day in a very easy way and, and help companies create more value. So hopefully that answered yeah. um, some questions around Gen Zs and, and remote workforce and, and what's going on. Well, it's interesting. You mentioned that 75% of the people you surveyed in that piece of research said they'd be happy to relocate uh, somewhere to be able to work remotely. Because I, I remember reading one of your recent ebooks around this whole challenge of running uh, enterprise workloads in the cloud. And it was a similar stat. I think from memory, it was 75% of enterprise workloads are now running in the cloud, uh, according to your research there. In fact, the, for listeners... Again, if you uh, have time, jump on the Citrix.com website and under the Citrix workspace, about uh, two-thirds of the way down the, the front page of the portal, there's a couple of spaces around uh, use cases, and there's one in particular where you can download this ebook. <clears throat> um, and I think it's titled Realize Your uh, Class Potential. Uh, and it talks about this whole thing. So 75% of the, the workload for enterprises is now in the cloud. And I, it was interesting you talked about 75% of this, I guess, uh, uh, workforce is now interested in, in being able to work in that way, which is an interesting stat. But one of the things that really jumped out at me there was that um, reading this, there was a statistic that you'd found where I think it was the average employee used something like 36 different cloud services to do their job. And I hadn't really done the math on that. But when I started sort of thinking about myself and the types of things I have now, um, it, it immediately made me go and look at my password wallet um, where all my usernames and accounts are kept securely and encrypted. And I realized that there's a lot more than 36 that I personally use. And I, that sort of just crept up on me. Um, but that was an interesting stat as well, that now you know, we're not just using one or two basic cloud platforms. Everything, in effect, looks and feels like a cloud. Um, I imagine that uh, is creating a bunch of challenges around that generational space as well, because you've got you know, a generation on one side and the Gen Zs and, and so forth who just are cloud natives. And as you said, have never been to a bank to open up an account. They, they've never seen a check and they probably laugh when we say we still get faxes to get orders um, with purchase orders signed on them. But at the other end of the spectrum, you've got people who have literally grown up with pens and pads and then had to learn how to use a computer. Um, what types of uh, insights are you getting from the conversations with the clients as to how they're making that transition? I mean, it's one thing for you to provide a platform that makes it seamless for them to offer that great employee experience. Um, but what sorts of things you're learning from talking to these companies about the challenges they're facing around how to get their workforce through to this process that they are willing to move to a Citrix-powered platform and become you know, users and consumers of the seamless environment? I imagine that they're facing a few challenges uh, in, in you know, either people not wanting to change or people demanding too much change too fast. No, you're, you're absolutely right, right? So, so what I hear from our customers most often or not is there are two kinds. A... Um, customers who are on, we, we call them digitally forward customers, who know the change is here. And if they don't change, they will get disrupted. And so they are ready to make the change. They are ready to think. 
and and rethink workplace and they know that the traditional models where work is organized around a hub like a call center or an office building it's dead and the future of work is more dynamic and decentralized and they think of business being uh, for their creating work being more flexible around these digital environments where employees can access tools and technology and information they need to perform their best and there are there are com- there are customers um, who, who haven't made that leap of faith yet and, and they're still um, they don't have this flexible remote work styles and and so it's it's our job and this is where Citrix comes in and, and really working with the customer and saying look if you don't make change if you don't um, if you don't disrupt yourself, someone else in your industry is going to come and disrupt um, your your industry or, or, or your company and so on. And most often or not, um, these are the these are the companies who are really having struggling with their brand identity as well, right? If you think about um, some of the really large companies, um, millennials actually have a very different ways of working and they're more social. They want to be more collaborative and they work all together. And so if you isolate these workers and, and they want, and, and you're trying to get the best people to collaborate together, um, the challenge will be um, to provide them this this environment, which is more flexible and dynamic in nature. Oh, so absolutely. that makes sense, yeah. Yeah, in fact, I have a consulting firm who are from a, a infrastructure and engineering background. They, uh, they, they design and build multi-story buildings. And uh, they rang me about a month ago and and absolute distress saying we <clears throat> our entire intern program is failing um and we don't know why and and uh des you think out of the box come and have a coffee so i went out a coffee and i said let's go to takeaway coffee and walk around the space that these uh interns are at because they're all going to be young generations and they're all cubicles they're all engineering people just sitting there at t- a, a big cad screen with a curved screen and i was like well okay i can tell you immediately what's going on so what we did is we took over the boardroom for one week and we moved all the interns into there and just let them work around the boardroom, literally like a hot desk, one big hot <laughs> desk space. Instantly, overnight, so we were basically emailing them every day saying, we just want to get three feedback points from you. You know, are you enjoying the experience? Uh, uh, you know, do you feel like getting out of bed and coming to it every day? And what are some of the highlights? Instantly, overnight, they said exactly what you're saying. And that is that they want to collaborate. They want to be together. They want to see each other. They want to communicate. They want to socialize to the point where... Most of them hadn't even met each other. This whole room of interns hadn't met each other. And yet by day two, they were going out having lunch together. They were sitting at the, you know, in the corner in the sun just talking about how they're going to solve problems. And, and I think this is something that you know, this particular firm realized uh, once they'd seen what they'd done. They'd put these, this younger generation in these sort of cubicle closed out workspaces where engineers historically wanted some peace and quiet to focus on, on deep thinking. Uh, but it didn't allow the younger generation to do what they natively do, which is be social. I noticed the other day that um, when I was looking at some of the pricing and availability, I mean, you've literally made the whole workspace offering like webmail for workspace from what I've seen. I mean, you've got pricing down to, I think it was like $14 a month or something um, for various services. I mean, this is another shift where I'm seeing a lot of demand as well, that people want to self-service. They want to be able to go to Citrix.com and sign up for something and, and whether they try it or they bring an integrator on board. This is an interesting pivot. I know you've had that style of pricing for a while, but I didn't realize it was available for the workspace stuff. Um, I imagine that you had a bunch of demand with people of various forms, particularly um, smaller organizations initially saying, we just want a self-service. Can we go somewhere and buy this offering like we do webmail on a per-seat basis? No, absolutely. As you're saying, look, in, this, in the SaaS economy, um, companies must be super transparent and, and gone are the days when you had to actually pick up a phone and call a sales guy and saying, hey, you know, I'm interested in your offer um, or, or you had to wait for a sales guy to give you a call back and saying, let me let me negotiate with you and there was less transparency. Today's digital world is all about being more transparent um, and instant trials and, 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 and ability to actually just log in and saying, oh, I see this makes sense. Let me initiate a trial. Let me try it out. And if you like it, uh, you can start with short-term commitments, and then you can go for a longer-term commitment. Um, so again, trying to just mimic how you experience things in your everyday consumer life. So you're absolutely right. Yeah, I think there's uh, there's this fun challenge now, isn't it? Because you've got large organizations with potentially tens or twenties or fifties or hundreds of thousands of staff who are going to want that sit down and have a coffee and negotiate because they want to get scale. But in many cases, I've seen even some of the largest organizations I've worked with over the last two decades. 
um, they might have two or three. And I think this is where a lot of the cloud providers like AWS did very well in the early days where you could self-service. So you could have a billion-dollar organization with one techie uh, or one developer just reach out and put it on their credit card and test something and try it and then champion it inside the organization. So, you know, 10 points to Gryffindor on your part and your team's part for making this uh, on par with what the market expectation is because I can imagine that people want to try and buy and then when they scale up, they're going to want to turn around and go, well, okay, we've tried it for a while. It does exactly what you said it does on the back of the box. Let's go. Um, and then I noticed you have the ability to, to go from that to, again, self-service, to click on a button to talk to an expert. And I, I think this is now on par with what people are expecting. At the other end of the spectrum, and I guess and one last question before we – because I know we're running out of time, but um, – You've got this whole user experience and, and employee experience blend that you've now taken into the HR challenge. Uh, are you getting organizations coming to you? And I imagine it's a, it's a moot point, but um, the people who are developing applications must be coming to Citrix and coming to you and your team and saying, well, how do we better integrate into the space? How do we leverage what Workspace can provide from Citrix? How do we ensure that we are one of your cloud-native apps that just work out of the box as opposed to having to retrofit? That, that must mean a conversation you're having regularly with organizations to see how they can make their solutions, their systems, their applications work better and more seamlessly in your environment around that whole work, Citrix workspace as well. Yeah, absolutely. We have right now hundreds of applications through which uh, we can do a single sign-on on all those API integration work done. But then also this really interesting concept of micro-apps. Um, so a micro-app, think about is is if you have a big monolithic application like um, I'm just going to pick a couple of SaaS applications we use every day, like Salesforce or Workday or Concur and so on. You know, how many times you as a power user, um, you as a power user may have to like spend time in them. But if I'm an occasional user, which means I just needed to request a PTO request um, or just approve an expense report, why do I have to do a single sign on to those applications or log into those applications, um, navigate three levels down to get as one simple click done? So at Citrix, what we have really done is now um, looking at these large SaaS applications, web applications, or even your on-prem applications. How do you abstract out that 80% of our work, which um, you know 80% of your people really needed to get done instantly? Now, for those applications, there's, um, A, most of them come out of the box from Citrix, but now we actually had, for the first time ever, a developer conference um, just recently, I want to say a month or two back, where now ISVs are coming up, um, we have system integrators coming in, and other developers coming in trying to write these micro apps and, and do these value creation workflows for our customers. So it's living in a very exciting times. Oh, it is. And I, and I think um, you know, the more we see these uh, uh, switched on and, and cloud-savvy uh, developers of platforms and systems and software coming to you early to integrate natively as opposed to you having to retrofit to, to adjust to them, uh, I think the, the better life is going to be for all of us. Well, I've loved hearing some of your insights around some of these key challenges. One of the things I'd love to ask as a, as a final question, if you don't mind, is I like to hand my guests a virtual crystal ball and get them to gaze into it. Um, so if I was to say to you that uh, over the next 12 to 18 months, um, if I said, Vishal, I want to hand you a virtual crystal ball, could you maybe just gaze into it in the context of that whole employee experience challenge we've been talking about? Um, what are some of the things that our audience needs to be thinking about and talking about and actioning over the next 12 to 18 months? What are the big things that are coming at us? Any particular shifts that, that you're seeing, given that you're on the bleeding edge of this, that uh, the average listener might not have considered, that they should really be, you know, anything from putting it as a standard agenda item on their board uh, agendas every month down to, you know, talking with their teams and their team leaders or even just chatting about in the hallways and the water coolers? Yeah, so I'm going to, you know, go back to the beginning of our podcast and, and talk about, you know, when we said how consumer um, apps and consumer examples are really influencing our enterprise lives. And so when we look at consumer, some of the consumer examples um, and apps which are really being influence, influencing our everyday lives is apps like Google Assistant or Siri or Alexa. And the way we are interacting with these applications are actually they are intelligent assistants uh, in our everyday lives. I can have, um, when I open up Google Assistant, it tells me my calendar for my, my day. It tells me exactly the most important things I need to focus on, my direction to work, and even plays my favorite music automatically. And so does Siri. And you can build workflows. You can do things. Um, when I watch my kids, the way they interact with Alexa, 
on and building your own workflows, it's just simply amazing. So, so it's, you know, it's only a correlation and extension of thought. Some of these automations will absolutely come to our uh, enterprise or our work life. And um, some of these things haven't really made a transact, um, you know, uh, really made a huge influence in our enterprise lives. If you look at um, a high-level exec at an enterprise, maybe a VP or, um, um, or CEOs, they all have these personal assistants, and they take care of all the busy work a senior exec has to really do. For example, filling out expense reports, um, changing calendar time, uh, booking travel, and so on. Now, what if intelligence like that or assistance like that can come to every single employee in your workforce? Um, and have everyone can have a more intelligent assistance, um, and it can be virtual in this case. And so this is something which we believe at Citrix, we are trying to push boundaries for more guidance and more automation, where um, through the intelligent assistance, you can truly empower worker enablement and remove busy work um, and free up time so your employees can have more time for value creation work. Um, if that makes sense, it's about um, having driving automation through analytics. It's all about optimizing your workers or your employees' workday. Um, it can be through contextual notifications and recommendations. Uh, we, we do that every day in our personal lives. When I go to the airport, uh, the boarding pass automatically shows up. Uh, why can't the right content um, show up when I go to a meeting room? Um, yeah, is some of these examples. So I think we will see more intelligence. We will see more intelligent automations um, in our everyday work um, in the next 12 to 18 months. I love it. You've managed to bring Star Trek uh, right back into the conversation and allude to the fact that we are effectively carrying a tricoder around in our hands powered by... Uh, your Citrix workspace, which is unbelievably cool. Well, Vishal, it's been absolutely fantastic to catch up with you. Thank you so much for making time to catch up with me and chat about this. And I've loved all the insights you've shared around both your personal life and also what you're doing uh, on a day-to-day basis just with this whole challenge of not just uh, the, the employee experience, but the whole integration of that workspace and the services you provide under that. And uh, I'm really excited about where we're going in the next 12 to 18 months, as you've outlined, because uh, it seems to me that we do have that Star Trek uh, TNG tricoder in our hand already, and you're in the process of enabling all of those capabilities that we dreamt about when we were watching this as young kids uh, and even later in uh, TNG. So thank you very much. It's been absolutely fantastic to get those insights, and uh, I look forward to seeing where you're taking us over the next 12 to 18 months. Absolutely. It was, it was such a great pleasure talking to you, Des. 